Let's bow our heads. Grant, O Lord, that in the written word and through my spoken words, we may see and behold the living word, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray, by your Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy New Year and uh, welcome. Uh, for those of you who haven't come across me before, my name is John Oakes, uh, and I'm uh, still relatively new honorary assistant here at St. Paul's, and I'm delighted to have this opportunity to be with you and to address you today. And I'd like to start by talking about major decisions. So let me begin by asking you a couple of questions. How many of you have ever made New Year's resolutions? I put my own hand up. I see most people here. How many have been successful in keeping any of them? Perhaps not so many hands. Well, if you're anything like me, I would suspect that you haven't always succeeded. When I was a smoker, which I hasten to add was some 30 years ago, I would resolve to give up pretty much every year, but usually only last a few days. The same was true of various resolutions to do more exercise or get my life more organized in other ways. Sometimes it almost seemed that the one way I could be sure not to achieve anything was to make a resolution about it. So for some while, I gave them up altogether until I felt better able to succeed in my plans or intentions. But my purpose today, at the start of a brand new year, is not to hold myself up as an example of human weakness or the power of sin, although I could very easily do that. And if anyone wants confirmation, my wife is in the congregation here this morning. Nor do I wish to offer you an excuse for forgetting about whatever good ideas you may have for 2023. Instead, I want to talk about decision-making more generally, and about one very important kind of decision or resolution that literally has life or death consequences whenever we make it. We tend to hear a lot about lifestyles nowadays, don't we? Turn on TV and you can watch endless profiles of Lifestyles of the rich and famous, as the tacky old TV program of that name once called them. Read Toronto Life, Now Magazine, or other local publications, and you can find all you need to know about the advantages of different ways of living. There's the hipster lifestyle, of course, not to mention the hippie one, at least in a few last enclaves of Toronto. 
and any number of others. According to Business Insider, there is now the colorfully named Indie Sleaze, pioneered by Gen Z. The list is almost endless, and they are often held up as matters of choice. In our postmodern age, the message almost seems to be that we can adopt a new lifestyle, like a new persona or identity, perhaps, whenever we like. But when we turn to the Bible, we find that there are only two major ways of life that really count. To put it bluntly, either we serve God or we don't. That's certainly the choice that the Apostle Paul addresses in our reading from Romans 6, verse 12 following. One of the root issues in this passage, as the Apostle frames it in verse 15, is a version of what theologians have sometimes called the antinomian or anti-law heresy. But it affects us all in one way or another, however we define it. What then should we sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Paul consistently teaches that we cannot save ourselves from the consequences of our own mistakes. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. When we accept him as he truly is, as our living Lord and Savior. So the apostle never teaches that we are required to keep every single biblical commandment. That would be impossible. Paul's point is that we are not under law, but under grace. But it's also possible, isn't it, to take God's grace for granted. And that's what lies at the heart of Paul's question. Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Now, on first hearing, this sounds like an almost ridiculous query until we remember how easily we can abuse any freedom, including our freedom in Christ. After all, how many times do we continue bad habits and refuse to accept our responsibility to try to change? How often do we try to bail ourselves out by taking advantage of God's grace but not follow through on God's expectations. This is the kind of issue that the apostle is driving at here. And Paul presents it as a very clear choice. Should we continue in the bad old ways of the past? By no means, he warns. For there are two possible lifestyles, and he states them very clearly in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, the apostle says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
you are slaves of the one whom you obey. To quote from the NIV Bible translation, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. It was the great German reformer, Martin Luther, in his wonderful treatise on Christian freedom, who once compared a human being to a horse in need of a rider. His argument was that we're bound to be led or to follow someone. The question was simply whom? About 400 years later, in his famous song, Gotta Serve Somebody, singer-songwriter Bob Dylan made exactly the same point. You're going to have to serve somebody. I'm not going to try and imitate Dylan here. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And in Romans 6, Paul explores the theological dimensions of this fundamental truth about the human condition. We may like to think that we do, but we never have complete freedom in this world. And in terms of our moral and spiritual decision-making, there's ultimately only one option for us. Either we obey God or we don't. And the consequences of that choice are very far-reaching. So let's explore these two lifestyles in more detail, beginning with what we might call the way of sin and death. The way of sin and death. I've no idea how often you go to the movies, and I don't want to set myself up as any kind of critic today. But anyone who casts a perceptive eye on much of the recent output from Hollywood can surely not help but be struck by the negative view of the world so often presented in it. Just think of some of the top-grossing movies that have hit the headlines in recent years. What do the two top films of 2021, Spider-Man, No Way Home, or Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, tell us about North American culture? Perhaps little of great depth, except that folks seem to like comic characters or mysterious legends. But a major feature for me is how bleak and how depressing so much of what we see on movies and TV can be. Certainly, film titles like Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Black Widow, or Halloween Kills, all drawn from 2021's top 15, would hardly seem to encourage the most positive, uplifting view of life. So many cellular Lloyd heroes have major personal problems, if you think about it. Their relationships are a mess, or they live in a dream world. They struggle. 
with past mistakes. To put it another way, they are alienated from God and from each other, and there seems no way out, no clear remedy for them. Yet while much of what we see from Hollywood may be over-traumatized and exaggerated, it can sometimes present us with an all-too-realistic portrait of life as many experience it. Life, that is, without Christ. Certainly, the picture that Paul gives us later in Romans 6 is not a very rosy one. When we do not serve God, the apostle tells us the reasons, we are slaves. <coughs> slaves to sin. He makes the point no less than three times in today's reading. In verses 16, 17, and 20. And what does he mean by it? In essence, I think Paul is saying that without Christ... The freedom that we may think we have in this lifestyle is really only an illusion. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, the apostle says in verse 20. But in fact, according to verse 19, you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity. That's the way of sin and death, as Paul describes it, bondage, addiction, and escalating problems. Many of us know that or have experienced it from our personal experience. And what's the result? Ultimately, as verses 21 and 23 make very clear, it is death. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. The end of those things is death. The Bible is clear that all of us need to be born again by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we are in the ultimate dead-end lifestyle. And without Christ, there is no escape. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. For as Paul also stresses in our passage, believers are now on a new track. We're on the way of eternal life, the way of eternal life. It's important to recognize that when the apostle writes to his readers in first century Rome, he's addressing them as people who have already been rescued from the way of sin and death and begun a new, totally different lifestyle. He couldn't be much plainer in verses 17 and 18, but thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And how has this come about? The answer is not explicit in our passage, although it is hopefully well known. The Bible teaches 
that it is God who rescues us when we turn from our mistakes and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. The marvelous good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. He has triumphed over sin and death once and for all on the cross of Calvary. So when we accept Christ for who he really is, God gives us the right to claim the benefits of what he has done right here and right now. We can be set free from the penalty and power of sin. We can be victorious over it. We can enjoy a new and eternal life with God. Jesus didn't have to leave the comforts of heaven to engage the sin and suffering of our world as he did that first Christmas. He didn't have to engage or enter the bondage of our lives to save us and set us free. He didn't have to give his life and rise again for our sake, but he did. As Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the marvelous results is that all who come to saving faith in him can enter a totally new way of life, in fact, of eternal life. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the apostle writes in verse 22 of our passage, the advantage you get is sanctification, which basically means becoming more like Jesus. The end is eternal life. The end is eternal life. That's the amazing difference that Christ makes. Instead of the way of sin and death, we are now on the way of eternal life. So we need no longer be slaves to sin we can exchange that terrible bondage for the glorious freedom of serving God in Christ. Another way of saying this is that we now have a real choice. Where once we were trapped by the negative consequences of our own mistakes, now Christ has set his followers free to put our faith in action, and it's vital that we do that, of course. It's very important that we walk the talk. It's one thing to profess a faith that moves mountains, and quite another to live it out, so that we really make a difference in our world. And what Paul is urging in our passage is that we do both. So we all, every single person here, face a very clear choice, the apostle says, in one of the most famous verses of the Bible, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Greek word translated wages here literally means a soldier's pay. So either we receive, we receive God's grace and salvation or we get what we deserve. So although accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior is the most important decision that we ever make, 
And if anyone has not yet done that here today, I would encourage you to consider it very seriously. It is not the last one. In fact, we are called to choose for or against God throughout our Christian lives. Paul expresses this so clearly in verse 19. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity. So now, so now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, to sanctification, or to become more holy, more like Jesus. The apostles' command is unmistakable, and there would be no point in him making it unless it were now a viable option, because God has given all believers the ability to choose the good and do what's right. The marvelous good news of Romans 6 is that when we trust in Christ as our living Lord and Savior, we can be sure that we have been set free from sin and death for God's service. And when we choose to embrace the wonderful opportunities that Christ offers, when we opt to make the most of our freedom in Christ, the end results will always be for the best and always for God's glory. Those opportunities will likely take many different forms, of course, depending on our circumstances and the encouraging thought that I want to leave with you today is that we will each have many opportunities in 2023. So let's make the most of them. Wherever we are on our spiritual journey, whether we're just setting out, still finding our way, or we've known Christ for years, Let's draw closer to God this New Year's Day. Let's resolve to make this a truly happy New Year of loving service of God and others as we choose, as we choose, as we resolve to live the way of eternal life that Christ and Christ alone has opened up for us. May that be true of us all this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.